Well, congregation, what an honor it is to be before you once again, uh, to be able to share the word. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen. It makes things clearer for us. It makes things um, more understandable. It makes things easier for us. Amen. So uh, I hope you're ready to receive tonight. Or did you come hungry for the word? You know, when you, co- when you come hungry, it doesn't matter what you receive. It always tastes good. Right. Isn't that in that true about like regular food doesn't matter if what you're eating is, you know, the worst possible thing you could have eaten. Doesn't matter if you're eating a plain leaf of lettuce. If you're hungry, bless God, uh, it's going to taste good. It's going to satisfy that hunger. And so the same we, we approach the word of God the same. We are always hungry and we're hungry for more of God. And so because of that, whatever we receive tastes good. Amen. Well, I got a real hoop and hollering sermon for you tonight. It's called Embracing Correction. Um, and uh, so I, I highly expect that uh, everybody's going to be swinging from these spotlights over here by the end of it. Uh, going to all be slain in the spirit, and we'll be able to tell Pastor Craig that revival begun tonight. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you for your you know, enthusiasm on that. But... Uh, on Sunday, Pastor Craig was ministering, and uh, if you didn't watch that service or for whatever reason you weren't here for it, you need to, you need to watch that because it was, it was a help to us. And he was talking about the role of the pastor and the local church in our lives, and we need to be refreshed about that, you know, because sometimes we can get into the rut of religiosity or, you know, fulfilling our beginning of the week obligation, and so it's good for us to hear that again and again about our pastor's role in our lives so that we can make sure that we're receiving from him fully. You know what I mean? So there's no hindrances to our receiving from him. And so Pastor Craig was talking about that. And in that sermon, he was giving several examples. There was a specific emphasis, right? There's so many different ways you can go when you're talking about the role of the pastor. Um, But uh, what the Holy Spirit was emphasizing through him was how that office will come and will rescue people through correction. And uh, he was talking about how, um, you know, throughout his many years of ministry, he's encountered different people, whether it's, you know, Maybe, maybe spiritual sons and daughters, maybe people in the counseling office, but he's encountered people where correction has come to them through him by the Holy Spirit, um, and they didn't receive that correction, right? And so because they didn't receive that correction, they got separated from the place that God meant for them to be, yeah. right? And so, um, you know, the thing about these people that he's, you know, and... Uh, the thing about these people, what they didn't realize, is that they interpreted correction to be an attack. But really, correction is a rescue. It's a rescue to us. It's a help to us. It's, it, correction comes for our benefit. It comes to bring us into more. And so these people thought that they were being attacked or they thought that they were being undermined or disrespected or whatever the case may be. But really, God was trying to help them into more. And so Pastor Craig was following the Holy Spirit in his correction. He was doing it the right way, but they didn't receive it. And so they got separated. And so um, the Lord started to deal with me about this all important topic of correction, because it's something that is going to come to everyone, 
right? Whether you're, whether you're in here and, and you know, you're a young person, you're a teenager, correction will come to you from your parents, from, from people that have been delegated authority in your life. Or whether you're, um, you know, in your, in your vintage years, you know, in your, in your uh, seasoned times, seasoned, sorry, is vintage not nice? Seasoned. Seasoned is better? I don't know. Don't get offended now. Um, uh, no. Uh, so whether in your seasoned years, um, you know, correction still comes to us and we still need it, right? We don't ever outgrow the need for correction in our lives. And so the Lord started to deal with me about this topic. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about it and I can't honestly say, uh, and, and maybe, maybe Corinne, I don't know if you could also say this, but I honestly don't remember anybody ever explicitly teaching me how to receive correction. You know, it's just something that I had to figure out on my own. It's something that, um, you know, I, I learned by experience and, and obviously the Holy Spirit helping me and teaching me. But I've never, I've never heard anybody teach about this. And so tonight, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you in a way that I was not helped by any natural person. You understand? So we're going to go through, we're going to talk about... Um, this important topic of correction, here's something we need to understand, folks. The way that we are right now, your character, your um, level of revelation, your personality, your thinking, all of that, the way that you currently are, your current state is not sufficient to get you into the fullness of God's plan. It's not sufficient. It's not enough. It's, it's not, and it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because any of us are lacking. It's not because God didn't make us good because he did make us good. You know, Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But the reality of the situation is if we are going to walk in God's best, God has to tweak us. Because over the course of time, whether it's because of our upbringing, whether it's because of our cultural background, whether it's because of uh, things that we pick up because of tests and trials that we faced, whether it's just uh, natural uh, personality traits, you know, whatever the case may be, um, we've picked up some things over the course of our lives that will hinder us in walking into God's best. And so God, who is a loving father, the Bible says God is love, yes. right? So he's not just loving. He is love. Love is who he is. Right. Everything that he does, everything that he says comes from love because that's who he is, yes. right? God who loves us has to correct us if we are going to grow into the people he wants us to be and if we are going to follow his plan for our lives in totality. You can get a measure of what God has for you, but you'll never get fullness apart from being corrected. Amen. Correction brings about fullness. Correction is the doorway into fullness. If you walk through it, right? And so uh, we, we need to be corrected. We need to have our minds renewed. We need to be tweaked. We need to understand that the way that we think right now is not necessarily the way that God always wants us to think. The way that we're behaving is not necessarily the way that God wants us to behave. There is a higher way of living and it takes us being corrected by the word and by the people that God has anointed for us. 
in order to walk in the success that God has for us. Amen. Also, uh, at the beginning of this year, I don't know if you, you follow his ministry. Many of you do, I know. But Brother Copeland uh, had a word from the Lord for the year of, of 2022. And uh, you can go on his website and you can listen to his teaching along these lines. But uh, he said this, 2022 would be the year of correction, direction, protection, and perfection in spirit, soul, and body, in finances, churches, and government. I'm going to read that one more time. He said 2022 would be the year of correction, direction, protection, and perfection. I want you to notice those four words are connected. Correction is direction. You, you might be going a certain way, and if somebody corrects you that's anointed to correct you, they're showing you there's a direction you should be going in, but you're not. What you're doing, what you're saying, how you're thinking, it's causing you to go this way, but you need to go and follow what God wants you to do, right? So correction brings about direction, and direction brings about protection. Because if you're going the wrong way, you might encounter wrong things. And so we need correction if we're going to be protected. Amen. And then the last one is protection and perfection. Right? Really, we could say this, uh, maturity. (laughs) Right? Development. That's what we're contending for. Amen? So 2022 would be the year of correction, direction, protection, and perfection in spirit, soul, and body. We have to make changes spiritually first if we're going to see changes in the soul and in the body. Amen? Spiritual change will, uh, will facilitate change in the other arenas. Amen? So the prophet of God said that 2022 would be the year of correction. That means he didn't say you get corrected one time in 2022. He said it would be the year of correction, direction, protection, and perfection in spirit, soul, and body. So what does that mean? This year is going to be marked. Marked by correction. It's going to be marked by God speaking to us. It's going to be marked by God tweaking things on the inside of us. See, nobody likes this kind of, uh, nobody likes this kind of thing. What do you mean I'm going to be corrected all year? What, Brother Copeland, can't you just tell me that God wants to bless me? Can't you just tell me I'm going to be a millionaire? Can't you just tell me that every desire that I have in my heart? Yeah. And you know, the way into that is correction. The way into that is yielding and embracing correction when it comes Amen. Correction is an integral part of preparation. You cannot be prepared unless you are corrected. Isn't that the job of a parent in the life of of a child? You know, you're you're as your as your child grows up, what are you doing? You're preparing them for adulthood. You're preparing them to integrate into society and not be a menace. You know, and so what do you got to do for that? And there's so many menaces in society today. Um, And uh, I would venture to say that a lot of what we see um, in this generation could have been undone if there was more correction. Um, Anyways, I won't get into that just yet because I'm going to get into that later. So we'll just just stay with me. I want to build a foundation first, then we'll talk about that, okay? So as I was sitting and listening to Pastor Craig minister 
um, and he was talking about these situations, the Lord started to deal with me about uh, correction and particularly how he wants us to embrace correction. That was the word I heard in my spirit, embrace correction. So it's not just um, tolerating correction. It's not just um, hearing it and ignoring it. It's embracing correction, right? It's, it's an act of receiving it fully, not partially. God wants us to embrace correction. You know what? Uh, Pastor Craig has, has said about this season that we're in as a church, that it would be a time to crucify the flesh. Didn't he say that? Hebron is a season of dying to the flesh, dying to our natural earthly desires, dying to our own plans and taking up and, and yielding and responding to the plan of God. Well, correction is necessary in order to crucify the flesh. Why? Because you need to know what to crucify. You need to know what's going to trip you up, right? And so we have to fully embrace Correction. Now, how that correction is delivered to us is, is determined by us, you know, and we'll talk about that a little bit because sometimes we can be a little bit dense spiritually and sometimes we can miss things that God is trying to say to us and he wants to say it to us in private so that we're not, you know, embarrassed in public. But sometimes we're not listening and so things have to come out publicly. But, you know, that's, that's a... Uh, that's the uh, end of the road. God's really trying to get something over to somebody if something comes out publicly. You understand? God's desire for us is that we spend time with him and that we give the word first place in our life and we give fellowship with him first place in our life because then in that time of fellowship, in our prayer closet, God will speak to us and correct us there. Right. As parents, don't you wouldn't you say that the vast majority of the correction that you give out to your children happens in the home? Right. It should. It shouldn't be happening in public. You're only correcting them in public when there's people around. That's that's not uh, going to be a help to you. You're at the, you're in the home most of the time and most of the misbehavior happens in the home. Right. And so it's dealt with in the home, in private, not with people around. But if stuff is happening and there's not lessons that are picked up in the home, then sometimes public correction has to be given to your kids, right? And so it's the same in the kingdom of God. God endeavors to speak to us and teach us and correct us in our private prayer closets. But sometimes, for whatever reason, we miss things. And that's okay. God is merciful. He, but he loves us too much to allow us to maintain or to keep those things that are going to hold us back. His love, when we see correction happening in people, what we're witnessing is a display of God's mercy and love. It's not, it's not oh, look at them. Oh, ooh, you know, you know, <laughs> you know when you're out. That's not, that's not a right response. What we're seeing is God's loving his people. God's loving his children. Amen? So, um, let, let me ask you this. Let me, let me say this. We need, I, I've said we need to learn to embrace correction. So if let's say we were all, I don't know, on some type of uh, boat, let's say, okay? And uh, we were sailing away, all of us together, and some, something happened to the boat. And the boat starts to sink, okay? And so, oh God, I can hear nervous laughter. And so this isn't real. This isn't real, okay? This is just a story. Um, and so we all get into the life rafts of the boat, and uh, we find a deserted island, 
And so we're all on the deserted island. Now, you know, let's say in this particular situation, we were able to radio for help and they told us, no problem, we're on our way to you. So we see in the distance, uh, because there's quite a, a number of people in the room right now, a number of helicopters, right, that are coming to the island. And they're coming and, you know, getting people, they find a safe place to land and they get all the people into the helicopters. Now, what happens if Miss Hortense over here, I'm going to use her as an example, because I know she loves to be used as examples. Uh, what if Miss Hortense sees the helicopter and she says, I'm not getting in that. And so she finds herself a, a rock to sit on and says, I'm not getting in that helicopter. Uh, you can t and so she tells the helicopter pilot, she says, you tell your people that I'm not getting in this helicopter. And if they want to rescue me, they can send a boat to the island. And I'll get in the boat because I trust that. But I don't want to get into that helicopter because it makes me nervous. Or it, you know, I don't want to fly. I just don't want to fly in that thing. And so every, every one of us gets into the helicopters. And we're, you know, even, even the ones of us that maybe are a little nervous about that kind of flying, Everybody gets in except for Sister Hortense over here who has decided that a helicopter is not a suitable method of travel for her and she is going to wait for a boat. Now, what's going to happen is all of us are going to get back to where we need to be and she's still going to be stuck on that island. Right? Correction is a rescue to us. And so when we reject correction, we are rejecting getting to our final destination. We're rejecting getting to the place of safety. When you reject correction, you make yourself vulnerable to the enemy. Amen. Amen. Correction is pivotal. It is necessary if we are going to uh, move forward in what God has for us. Correction is a way out of trouble. We could, say, we could also say it this way, another analogy for you. It's a signal fire. Right? It, what, because what does a signal fire do? A signal fire identifies. Um, you, you ever seen those movies? I don't know. Maybe it, it's like those uh, generally these medieval movies or this stuff like that where you have the ancient empires of the old times. And, and uh, what you'll see is there'll be people and they'll be standing on a wall in like a castle or something like that. And if they can see armies coming towards them, they get one of their archers. Right, and the arch will have a flaming arrow or something like that, and he'll shoot that arrow at this pile of wood in a tower, right? And that, and that arrow sets the wood on fire, and basically it's a signal fire alerting people that trouble is near. Well, can I say this? Correction is a signal fire that will alert you of trouble or of something that will cause trouble in the future if it's not dealt with. Amen. Correction comes from God because he's alerting us of trouble to come if we don't change. Right. So that's why we can say correction is mercy. Correction is love because somebody who doesn't love you. Listen, Pastor Craig talked about Brother Happy and going to Nepal with with Brother Happy and how there are, are, are bears or whatever out there, all kinds of animals and how all he said, I don't have to be the fastest person. All I got to do is run faster than Brother Happy, you know, <laughs> because Brother Happy can get eaten. If somebody's going to leave you behind when they see danger, it's because they don't love you. OK, 
they don't love you. If somebody is gonna say to you, oh look, there's a bear over there, I'm not gonna tell anybody I'm gonna sneak out and get, that person doesn't love you, you need to get new friends. That is not a friend that you want hanging around you, okay? Um, so, God loves us. And because he loves us, he will alert us of trouble in our behaviors, in our thinking, because that trouble will eventually catch up to us and it'll, um, it'll hinder what God's plan is for our lives. Amen? So turn with me in your Bibles. Wow, time is flying. To the book of John and chapter 15. John 15, if you would. John chapter 15 and verse 1. John 15, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this in the King James, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, or the gardener, or the vine dresser, in, in other translations. And it says, verse 2, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. So what do we see here? What does God want us to do? He wants us to bear fruit. It's his will for us to bear fruit. And if we're not bearing fruit, then that qualifies us for removal. Yeah. Now, what do I mean by removal? I mean removal from his best. Yeah. Right? Because God, God doesn't go around killing people. That's not what I'm saying here. Right? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Because fruit is a part of his will for our life. Amen. And I want you to notice it's every it says every branch in me. What does that mean? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're bearing fruit. Just because you have the ability on the inside of you to bear fruit doesn't mean that that's happening in your life. We have to find out how to bear fruit and then and then do it. Amen. So every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And then look, and every branch that beareth fruit. Isn't that a good thing? Wouldn't you consider that to be a good thing? Yes. Every branch that's bearing fruit. What does he do to those? He congratulates them. Every branch that beareth fruit, he says, good job, have a seat. Every branch that beareth fruit, he gives a title and says, everyone look at this person and how wonderful they are. No. Listen, God is a good God and he's wonderful and he loves you and he will shower his love upon you. But look at what this verse says. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. He purgeth it. What does that word purge mean? It means to cleanse from filth or impurity. It means to prune. It also means this, to eliminate useless shoots on trees and vines. So what is God doing to the ones that are bearing fruit? He's pruning them. He's cutting things off that don't belong. He's removing things that will hinder growth. Why? Why is he doing that? He purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. In other words, you might, God, God looks at our lives and he says, I'm, I'm pleased that you are bringing forth a certain measure of fruit, but there's more fruit that I have for you to bear. And if you are going to bear that fruit, I have to cleanse you. I have to get rid of the things that will hinder that fruit from coming. Amen? Amen. So I want to tell you a story from my childhood. Are you ready? So uh, we, uh, in, in our first home, our, my childhood home that I spent 15 years in, um, we uh, had a cherry tree in our backyard. 
And I don't know why we got a cherry tree. Mom wanted a tree. And so she said, uh, we're going to get a tree. And I, I vaguely remember the day it was planted. I remember, you know, the hole in the ground and being a kid and looking in that hole and thinking it was such a deep hole. If I fall in there, I'm never coming out, you know. And um, we, you know, planted this tree. And uh, over time, it grew and it grew and it grew. And, you know, it ended up actually being very tall in, in our yard. You'll remember, Mom and Dad. And... Um, we had a, a neighbor who lived on, uh, directly beside us. She was a sweet lady, a sweet older lady. Her name was Julia. And uh, Miss Julia was an avid gardener. She had a lot of different types of flowers and shrubbery in her garden. She spent a lot of time out there. Anytime, you know, if, if the weather was nice, you could always see Miss Julia was either in the backyard or she was in the front yard gardening because she loved doing it. And she lived with her uh, adult daughters and they helped her in the gardening. And um, they also had uh, a tree in their yard, but it was an apple tree. And so Miss, Miss Julia, you know, she, she knew a thing or two about gardening. She, you know, everything that she had planted was flourishing it was growing, it was lovely, the tree was flowering, she was getting these beautiful fruits from the tree. And then there was our yard. And um, so we have, you know, the oasis next door, you know, which is looking beautiful and lovely and fruitful and wonderful. And then there was our yard. And um, it's not for a lack of trying that things weren't great uh, in terms of production of fruit, um, but it, it was definitely for a lack of something. And, um, you know, that tree grew and it grew and it grew. And more than anything, there, it, it, every now and then we would see a cherry or two on it. <laughs> but more than anything, uh, it was uh, an all-you-can-eat buffet for birds and insects. It was, you know, it, it was before Uber Eats, there was Uber Eats and it was in our yard. It was in our yard, um, <laughs> this cherry tree. And... Uh, it got, one thing that we, what, that mom used to do, because we could recognize the skill of Miss Julia, mom would go over and she would have these moments, these bursts of, I think I want to garden and change, you know? <laughs> I want to change the way that my yard looks and I want it to be beautiful like hers. So she would have these bursts, these temporary things, uh, temporary, that would... <laughs> Very temporary uh, things. And so she would go over to Miss Julia. She would say, man, your garden is so beautiful. What are you doing that I'm very clearly not doing? Because you get all these beautiful fruit on your trees. And she, I'm not going to try and do her accent, but she couldn't speak English very well. But one of the things that I remember, because I remember mom telling me about this conversation she had with her, is she was talking about her apple tree versus our cherry tree. And uh, she said, I've noticed about your cherry tree that it's very tall. She said the branches are very long, and I mean, it was, it, it, was, it was very tall. We sort of just left it to its natural devices, if you will. Like, we weren't, you know, we weren't pruning it. We weren't trimming it. We weren't doing anything like that. We, we just left it to the, the elements and let nature have its way, if you will. And so she said, I notice your tree is very tall. She said, and you're missing out on a lot of the fruit that is growing up there because understandably, we're not getting up on a ladder every, you know. <laughs> I mean, look at us. Do any of us look like we're going to get on a ladder? Okay. So we're not getting up there to get the fruit. And so all of that fruit that's up there is being lost to the birds and the squirrels and the, and the bugs and whatever comes along that can get up there, you know. 
And so one of the things that she had recommended for mom to do was to, um, to cut the, the branches that were so high. She said, you need to trim the tree. And she said, if you trim the tree, uh, then what you can do is once the branches have been cut, you can bend them and you can teach them to grow in a different way. You know, so that, so, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like your hair, okay? If you comb your hair a certain way for long enough, your hair will learn to go in that way, yes. right? It's, you know, science. So, um, <laughs> so you didn't think you were going to come and learn all this tonight. Um, but the same applies with these plants. If you put, and you can put in aids and stuff like that to teach it in the direction it should go. But if the branches grow down, in, or, or to the side instead of up, then we'd be able to reach the fruit, right? Because, you know, it's not all the way up in the rafters and we have to have wings to get there, right? And so she was advising uh, mom in this way because that's what she did with her apple tree. Uh, she, when she had gotten the apple tree and as it was growing before it got to be too much, she started doing these things. And so her, the branches of her tree were growing down and they were, she was not a very tall lady, she was tiny. And so it was very easy for her to just pick the apples when they were ripe before some animal went and got it. And uh, you know, uh, as a result, she got to enjoy the fruits of her labor much more than we did. Because I can remember only one time where there was a harvest of about three cherries. <laughs> and none of them were ripe, and all of them were partially eaten. So I, I can, that's all I can remember from my childhood um, of that cherry tree. It was more of a, a, a decoration thing, I guess, than it was actually useful to us for food. Anyways, um, we could say this, congregation, um, Okay, this was, another, this was another reason why she said we should cut the branches off. Because what happens is when, you, when trees grow, not every branch is fruitful. Okay? And so the branches that aren't fruitful have to be pruned and they have to be cut. Because otherwise it takes away from the energy for fruit production that the tree has. Okay, And so if you don't cut that stuff off, you're not getting the most out of your plant. You're not getting the most fruit out of it, right? Most of you, you know, that have any type of green thumb, any shade of green, will, will, will know about this. Clearly, our th I don't see any green on this thumb. So I'm, we, were, we were learning and we learned all of this too late because now we don't have a tree. Anyways, so I could say this, congregation, our lives are like trees. Right? And God wants us to produce much fruit because if you read a few verses down in verse 8, it says that herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So God wants us to bear fruit. And what does that mean? If we're not bearing fruit, then we're not glorifying God the way that we should be. God wants our lives, not just our words, not just our hands lifted in song, but He wants our lives to be worshiped to Him. And we do that by bearing fruit. However, in order to bear much fruit, things have to be removed. Just like those fruitless branches of the tree, we have to prune our lives. We have to cut things out that are going to hinder. There are useless things in our lives. There are distractions. There are sins. There's wrong thinking. There's wrong behaving. There's character flaws. You know, I know it comes as a shock to so many of us, but we are not perfect. And we are not the best thing since sliced bread. 
as a famous philosopher once said. Okay? We're not that. And so God has to purge things. He has to clear things out so that we can grow more fruit and bear more fruit. We were letting the tree do whatever the tree wanted to do. And the tree was not giving us anything worth writing about. Okay? It was, not give, it was really not serving its purpose for us. And uh, if we allow ourselves to just do whatever we want to do, and we yield to our own natural devices, we are not going to produce the fruit that God wants us to produce. That's why correction is pivotal. That's why it's necessary. That's why we can't go without it. That's why the fact, you know, Pastor Craig gets very intense about the seeker-sensitive church and how they have removed uh, correction out of their preaching. They've removed, uh, they're really not doing what preachers are supposed to do, which is to rebuke and reprove and correct, right? We're We're not seeing that in the church today. And so what's happening? Christians all over the world are growing fruitless. They're not bearing any fruit. And that's why the church of the living God is considered to be a joke by the world and not a force to be reckoned with. It's because people are afraid to correct. And and so thank God we're in a place where our pastors aren't afraid to correct us. I said, thank God we're in a place, right? where our pastors aren't afraid to correct us. And people don't like to be thankful for correction. But if you don't show yourself thankful for correction, then really you're not thankful for increase. Amen. That's good. That's good. Because correction is, as we said, it's the doorway into increase. Now, let me say this. A trained gardener like Miss Julia, she could look at the tree and she could see, oh, if you do this and you do that, um, you'll be able to get more fruit out of your tree, right? Whereas an untrained eye, and she was saying, cut the branches of the tree. Cut it, cut, just cut it all down. And you know, somebody who's untrained in the ways of the garden might look at that and they say, why would you do that? You're killing the tree, yeah. right? Yeah. Or she might say, you need to, she said, you need to bend the branches so that they grow a certain way. And somebody who's untrained might say, but if you do that, you're gonna hurt the tree. Don't you know plants are living organisms? They have feelings, you know? And so somebody who doesn't understand, they might say, oh, well, if you do that, it's going to hurt the tree. It's going to kill the tree. Don't do that. An untrained eye sees that pruning or, or identifies pruning as a detriment. An unrenewed mind will see correction as detriment. An unrenewed mind will see correction as an attack. Oh, you don't have a right to say that to me. Oh, I can't believe you have the audacity to speak that way to me. I've never in my life been spoken to that way. Well, maybe that's part of the problem. Anywho, um, so if if we, a person with a trained eye understands that pruning is necessary to grow fruit. And in your life, correction is necessary for you to bear fruit. Amen? God is a master husbandman. He looks at your life. He sees the things that need to be removed. And by his spirit, who is the helper on the inside of us, he'll prompt us, don't do this anymore. Don't watch this anymore. Don't hang out with this person anymore. Don't date that person. Don't give more time to the word in your day. 
He'll say things like that. Change your habits. Change, you know, increase your work ethic in this area. You know, put more effort into this and less effort into that. The Holy Spirit is tweaking us and correcting us. Why? Because he sees how much fruit we're producing and he sees the potential that we could be. And so the, when instruction comes from God, it's instruction to bear more fruit. Amen. Correction is not for your detriment. It is for your betterment. Yes. Amen. 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 It's not for your detriment. It is for your betterment. Folks, it's easy to say amen right now. But when push comes to shove and correction comes because it will come. If you're, if you're interested in growing, if you're interested in, in the plan of God, correction will come. Remember, remember this, okay? Remember, it's not for your detriment, it is for your, uh, your betterment. Amen? Yes. Amen? Amen. And of course, we know this, correction has to be in line with the word of God, and there's right ways to correct people. We don't do it harshly, we don't do it aggressively, you know, but... But having said that, there are times when correction can come from an elevated voice. It can come because, because rescue, you listen, if somebody is going to, uh, you know, going to step off of a cliff and they don't see, it's dark outside, let's say, and they don't see that they're about to walk off a cliff, you're not just going to whisper, oh, hey, maybe don't go that way. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I don't know if you saw that cliff over there, but it's, you know, it, it, you, right, you're going to be, hey, Right? Don't go there. Don't step there. You're going to fall, right? You're going to raise your voice. Why? Because their rescue, their well-being is dependent on that, on your tone. Well, sometimes God needs to shake us. God needs to get our attention, you know, and so, and it'll come with an elevated tone. So don't be offended at the way the correction comes. Just recognize it came and it's here for my help. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk to you. I'm going to read this and then I want to give you some steps to um, embracing correction. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to wrap up uh, with this, okay? Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to start in verse 5. I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation because it is just dynamite. Um, it is so good and so I... I I have to read it to you in the Passion, okay? Hebrews 12 and verse 5, it says this, And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, My child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God. Don't underestimate the value of it. In other words, consider it precious. Consider it important. Amen? My child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. Depression, feeling dejected, feeling rejected, that's a wrong response to correction. Why is that? Verse 6, for the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. God loves me, so he corrects me. Amen? It's the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. Let me tell you something, congregation. There is a, a lie that the devil tells. He tells it to people. And it's that correction will cause people to distance themselves from you. That's the lie that he's told to these pastors in the secret sensitive church, that if I correct them, they'll leave. Yes. That's the lie that he tells many parents which is why they won't correct their children. Oh, if I correct them, they're not going to like me. Yeah. 
They're not gonna wanna be with me. They're not gonna want to spend time with me. But that is a lie that the devil tells. Can I tell you something? You don't have to turn there, but in Proverbs 13, 24, we hear this, this statement that people frequently misquote. And it's a verse in the Bible that people misquote and they say this, have you heard the statement, spare the rod, spoil the child? Right? We've heard that. We've heard that before. We hear that out in the, even the world will quote that, not recognizing that it's a Bible verse, spare the rod, spoil the child. But did you know that's not what the Bible says? It doesn't say spare the rod, spoil the child. It says spare the rod, hate the child. That's the correct, that's what it says. It says, he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth chasteneth him betimes. uh, Listen, there is a lie that the devil has told people and it's twisted. He's twisted that scripture. And now people think, oh, if I don't discipline my kid, they're going to be spoiled. But that's not what God is saying. What he's saying is if you don't discipline and you don't correct, it's because there's an absence of love. And, and that's been perverted and twisted and distorted over the years where people don't, uh, because of that distortion, because of that twisting that the devil did, now people think that discipline is wrong. Yeah. Now they think that, oh, it will, it, will, um, it will negatively affect my kid. It will hinder or destroy our relationship before it's even begun. And that is deception, folks. That is a lie from hell because discipline exists Discipline is a flow of love. It's a flow of love. When discipline comes to us, it's because somebody loves us. Amen. When God disciplines us, he's loving us. When our pastor disciplines us or corrects us, it's because he loves us. Amen. And and, and it's because of that love that they don't want us to get ourselves into trouble. Or the plan of God for our lives to be hindered. And so people will be corrected by the pastor and they think, oh, well, that's just his opinion. Listen, if it comes, if the correction comes and it's uh, and what he's doing is he's showing you what the word of God says. If you reject that correction, then you're rejecting God's love towards you. We love to sing. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. You know, we sing all these pretty songs about how much we love Jesus, but then correction comes and suddenly we forget. Suddenly it's, oh, we we look at natural instead of the spiritual. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Discipline is not a hindrance to a relationship. If anything, what what does this verse say? It says, For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, what is correction? It is drawing you to the Lord. It's drawing you closer. That's how we should feel when we're corrected. Oh, God's bringing me close. Oh, I feel so safe because I've been corrected. Amen. When he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. So look at verse seven. It's telling us how to respond. Fully embrace God's correction. As part of your training, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. You don't correct somebody else's kid in the grocery store. Some of you will, but, but but you know, you shouldn't. You shouldn't, right? That's not my monkey, not my circus. You know, that's, uh, that's, uh, anyways. But, uh, 
But generally, you, you correct your own kids, not somebody else's, right? So his correction is a sign that we're his. Amen? And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Amen. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them, but God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share his holiness. The more we are corrected, the more that we can be holy. If we, are, if we want to be holy as God is holy, the road to holiness is paved with correction. Amen. Amen. We can't want the great thing that God promises and not want everything that it takes to get there. Right? If you want holiness, you have to love correction. You have to embrace it fully. Amen? Amen. And then last verse, verse 11. Now all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time. Yet later it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. Amen. Isn't that great? I love that translation. So how do we fully embrace correction? I'm going to give you a list and then we're going to close. Okay. How do I embrace correction that comes from God and that comes from those who he's anointed to speak into my life? And listen, correction can come from your spouse, too. Lord knows, you know, (laughs) Lord knows my spouse corrects me. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but uh, it can come. And listen, we need to hear it. We need to not buck against it. Amen? Because it's a help to us. Number one, how do I embrace, how do I fully embrace correction? Number one, keep offense out of the equation. Offense is pride that is given expression. Offense is pride that is given expression. When we become offended with the correction that we receive, we are showing that we cannot handle the great things of God. Why? Because the Bible says that he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So when we resist correction, we resist God. Offense cuts us off from the blessing. Look at this. If we look at the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain obviously went down in history as uh, a murderer, you know? But did you know that his first sin was not murder? His first sin was offense. He was offended with God because God didn't receive his offering. And that offerance stewed and he marinated in it. Instead of just changing his behavior, he got sad, he got depressed, and that offense turned to jealousy. And that jealousy caused him to kill his brother. If offense is left untreated, it will grow and it will destroy things in your life. It will steal from you or rob from you. Amen? Why? Because it it comes from the devil. The devil was offended at God. Right? And he started to think of himself more highly than than he was. Right? Offense, if left untreated, will steal, kill, and destroy the plan of God for your life. And then I have this here. If you're offended at correction, then you're offended at increase. Right? Because correction comes to bring about increase. So when you're corrected, keep offense out of the equation. Number two, when you're corrected, pay attention when correction is being given. 
This is how to fully embrace correction. I, will, I, I cannot even tell you the amount of times where I, I know that someone has been corrected or Pastor Craig has asked me to speak to someone and, and correct them about something that they're doing, maybe a minister, maybe someone in leadership, and I've had to do that. And I cannot tell you the amount of times that a person will come out of a meeting like that and all they will remember is all the wonderful things that were said about them and not any of the things they needed to tweak or change. It's like, you know, the sandwich method for some people just doesn't work because all they remember is how wonderful they are. Oh, well, brother, you know, you're such a wonderful supply to this church. You're such a, you're such a help and you're doing great in so many areas. But we need you to change this. But you know what? You are so great and you are so wonderful and we love you so much. And they come out and say, oh, how was that meeting? Oh, it was great. I am so faithful and I'm so wonderful. And God and Pastor Craig just love me so much and it's, I'm such a blessing. Fine, let me find a table and flip it over. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it doesn't make any sense because... You need to pay attention when you're being corrected. You need to have enough reverence for the words of God that are coming to you from the people who he's anointed to speak into your life and realize, I'm not saying that you, you know, record it and beat yourself over the head with it every day and condemn yourself. But what I am saying is you need to pay attention so that you can implement. Right? right? Yes. And recognize, okay, I missed it here. And yeah, you know, I, maybe I'm getting it right in certain areas, but I obviously didn't get it right in this one. So I'm going to pay attention so that I don't make the same mistake again. Amen? As you grow and mature, listen, as we grow, uh, God is going to expect us to get some things quickly because we don't have the time to be learning things over and over and over and over and over again where he has to repeat himself over and over and over and over again to us. We, don't, we just don't have the time for that, especially not with the work that he's called us to. He's going to expect us to get some things quickly. Okay? And so pay attention when correction comes. Take it seriously. Amen? When it comes from the pulpit, take it seriously. When it comes in the counseling room, take it seriously. Because it's for your help. Number three, how do I embrace correction? Humble yourself. We talked about keeping offense out of the equation, and, and these two are really tied together, as I said. But can I say this? Humility does not feel the need to justify itself. I don't have to explain myself if I'm humble. Now, there's, there's balance to be brought in this statement, okay? Because if you're, if you're being wrongly accused of something, it's not, it's not wrong for you to say, well, actually, that, that didn't happen. That's not wrong. But I'm talking about there's something in human nature. There's, it's a, like a defense mechanism so many of us have where somebody tells us we need to change something and our first thing is to pounce on it and, and defend ourselves. And so that's what I'm talking about here. Humility doesn't feel the need to pounce and defend itself. It's just, okay, I received that correction. I'll make the change. Humble, 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 right? Humility draws, it, humility invites God's involvement. Amen? So uh, the Lord said this to me one time. I, somebody was uh, saying something to me, and uh, I was, this was years ago when I was first starting out in ministry, and, and I, I started to say, well, I just think that about something that was, so I said, well, I just think that, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me, and he said, well, I just think that, is the doorway into division. And so I said, oh, okay. So in other words, what's God saying to me? Your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> when it comes to humility, keep your opinion out of it because you can't be humble and have an opinion. Amen? 
show yourself humble and God, God will add more and more grace to you. Amen. So number one, how do we embrace um, uh, correction? We keep offense out of the equation. Number two, how do we do that? We pay attention when correction is given. Number three, we humble ourselves. And the last one, number four, apply the correction immediately. Correction that is not applied is useless. Right? You can hear it, but just because you've heard it doesn't mean that you're doing it. And so we need to be intentional about applying the things that we're corrected on. You may humble yourself. You may be sorry. You may be responding correctly from that perspective. But true repentance shows up when there's a change in actions. If there's not a change, then there's no repentance. Amen? Just like we say, if there's not a change in our behavior, then our minds aren't renewed. Right? It's if, if we are going to fully embrace correction, we have to decide. We have to, we have to recognize, can I say this to some of you? Because some of you need, need to hear this, okay, about what God's plan is for your life. Recognize that God knows more about you than you do. Recognize that the people that God has anointed to speak into your life, that God has equipped them to do that. And so when God prompts someone to say something to you and to correct you, recognize that, okay, this is from God and maybe they know something that I don't know. Maybe they see something that I don't see. Maybe there's a level of experience that they have or, or like Pastor Craig talked about, he has an arsenal within his office, including the gifts of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come upon him and reveal things to him about our lives so that he can speak into it and help us and teach us and correct us. So recognize that the people that are over you in the faith know more than you. (laughs) They know more than you. God will intentionally put us with people that know more than us, that can help us, and, 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 and that whose anointing, even, even if as they're growing, you know, of course, Pastor Craig is a seasoned minister, you know, and so he understands more about the flow of God than we do. He understands more about following the Holy Spirit than we do. Just over the years with trial and error, with, with learning to follow his voice. So recognize that when correction comes, it's coming from that place. It's not coming from a place of control. It's not coming from a place of a lack of understanding or, or uh, not coming from a place of manipulation. He's, he's speaking it. He's saying it because the Holy Spirit wants to help you. Yes. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit wants to help you? Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to leave us the way, you know, so that we wouldn't develop and grow and become who he wants us to be? I'm, I'm glad for the help of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want it to be said of me that when the Holy Spirit stretched out his hand to help me and assist me that I slapped his hand away. Right? Because that is, so many people have that testimony, and they don't even know it. They won't know it until they stand before Jesus. And they say, I was trying to help you here. I was trying, and see, here's the thing. Oftentimes, when we reject correction that comes, um, bad things won't happen to us the day after the correction was rejected. But when we reject the help of the Holy Spirit, we open the door to the devil. And the devil is a strategist. And he will find an opportune time, and that's when he'll come and rob from us. And, uh, but thank God the Holy Spirit extends to us a lifesaver, if you will, 
or a, or a life raft or, you know, he extends to us help in the form of correction. So we have to fully embrace it. Amen? Amen. 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 The Lord is good. Amen? If the Lord is good, everything that comes from him is good. Amen? There's no bad in him. So number one, just to review, how do we fully embrace correction? Number one, keep offense out of the equation. Number two, pay attention when correction is given. Number three, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humility looks a certain way. It's not just, because you may be, oh yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> oh yeah, I won't do it again. Right? That's not, that's not humility, folks. Right? And then number four was apply the correction immediately. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. You are a good God. You are a kind Father, a loving Father. And we so appreciate your help. We so appreciate, Father God, how the Holy Spirit comes to lead us and guide us and correct us. And Father, uh, we know that you'll do it in the prayer closet. We know that you'll do it in our time with you. But Father, however the correction comes, however we need to receive it, Father, we thank you for it. And we thank you that we'll recognize the next time correction comes to us, whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's in the counseling office, whether it's from one of God's representatives in our lives, Lord, our pastors, our parents are God's representatives, our spiritual leaders. When that correction comes, we'll recognize that it's for our help. It's not for our detriment. It is for our betterment. And we give you praise and we give you honor, and we give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. amen.